Good morning, everyone. My name is Troy, and I just flew in from Jackson, and boy, are my arms tired. Thanks uh, for that, Greg. Um, one of the pastors here this morning, we are starting a, a, a short series called Hospitality, Redemptive Inconvenience. Um, and the reason we, we have specifically chosen to do this series at this time of year is because we are about to enter into some of the only nice days in the entire year in Wisconsin. It is finally spring-summer here, right? It's almost like we skipped spring and went right from winter to summer, right? We have this, uh, this, this great uh, kind of tradition uh, in the springtime at the Lather House. It's called Rip the Plastic Off the Windows Day, right? And it's like, oh, it's finally, like, can we look out far enough advance in the sea? Is it going to be warm enough for us to leave the plastic off the windows that we put up in the winter and let a cross breeze come through the house? It's amazing when that happens. Then it's just in time for allergy season. Thank you. But anyway, so the good news is that we can open the windows up again and have the cross breeze come through. The bad news is that when we open the windows up, some other things don't come in the windows. They go out of the windows. Um, and it's, uh, it's best encapsulated by this meme I found. I heard this week. Attention moms, open window season is here. Time to switch from yelling to his threats. <laughs> As it happens, we open the windows. All of a sudden we go from that to... Right? This is what happens. Because, you know, in our home, we, we, we call our home our place of refuge, right? It's where we find, you know, the place where you can get away, unplug, things like that. In fact, there's this adage that I know you know, and it goes like this. A man's house is his castle. That's right. A man's house is his castle. And Professor Attorney uh, Jonathan Hafez says this about this maxim. He says, The maxim that a man's house is his castle is one of the oldest and most deeply rooted principles in Anglo-American jurisprudence. It reflects an egalitarian spirit that embraces all levels of society down to the poorest man living in his cottage. The maxim also forms part of the fabric of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution, which protects people, their homes, and their property against unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. Now, these freedoms that we have are things that we're blessed by, that sometimes I think we take for granted, these these freedoms that we have, because not every place in the world has those freedoms. But think about this. The idea that a man's house is his castle, this, this attorney professor says, is one of the greatest, what does he say, the oldest and most deeply rooted principles in Anglo-American jurisprudence. I got, a, I got a call this week from a friend of mine, part of our family of faith here, and he's fairly uh, young in his journey with following Jesus, and he said, Troy, I got to process through something with you. Can you help me? And I said, well, I'm not sure. Maybe. Let's process through it. So I said, what's going on? He said, well, here's the deal. So he goes, my daughter has a family, and one of her children or grandchild has this, um, this uh, big event that's coming up this Sunday. That's today. And apparently, he goes, my wife invited them to our house for a party after this event, which he goes, is fine. He goes, but she didn't just invite our, my, our, our daughter and her family. She invited her daughter's friends. I was like, okay. And he says, Troy, they're animals. They're animals. This is last time we were with them. He said, they ate all the food. They, they, the kids were running around destroying the place. He said, they were all, they were swearing, like all crazy stuff. He goes, they're animals. I don't want them here. I said, like, oh, okay. Um, that kind of, I mean, some of you are like, yeah, I get it. So I said, well, well tell me what happens to you when, when, this, when people like that come into your house. He goes, what do you mean what happens to me? I get angry. 
I got my house where I wanted. I've worked all these years and I've got it just the way I wanted. Someone comes in and trashes it. It makes me angry. And so I said, okay. I, uh, I said, well, ask him a few more questions. I said, well, let me ask you a few more questions. And I didn't give him any answers. And I told him to go look at Scripture and pray. I'm not sure why he called me in the first place. Anyway, so he did that. And he came back the next day and called me and said, okay, so here's what I think I, I've learned from what you had said. I should look in Scripture and maybe pray. And Okay, so probably should let them come. <laughs> yep. That is the beginning of wisdom there, I guess. Yeah. See, he was living under this principle, my home is my castle. Let me ask this question. If we're living under the principle, our home is our castle, can you tell me, can you tell me, under that adage, who is the king? I am. That's right. We are. We're the king. Now that should, if you follow Jesus, that should create some kind of tension for you. Because that's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus is supposed to be the king. Not you. Not me. If you're here this morning and you do not follow Jesus, your home is your castle. That makes total sense. But if you are here this morning and you say, I follow Jesus Christ, that adage does not work. It does not apply because there's only one king. And it's not you. And it's not me. It is Jesus. And so something has to give in that tension. And we are through this series hoping that it is not Jesus giving. That it is the Spirit convicting us to open our homes, to open our hearts, and to open our lives as well. And to do that, we are going to open God's story and see where this idea of hospitality comes from, from the Scriptures. So grab a Bible with me and turn to Leviticus chapter 19. It should be on page 85 in the Brown Bibles. If you're here and you're visiting with us, we'd strongly, strongly encourage you to grab one of those Brown Bibles and open to page 85. And uh, if you don't listen to me, just keep reading. That's fine. Uh, we'd love to have you open the Scriptures with us this morning. So page 85 is the book of Leviticus. Now, as you turn there, I want to give you a little context about Leviticus. Sometimes people say, hey, Troy, I'm going to start to read the Bible. I'm going to read all the way through. And I go, okay. And they go to Genesis. They're like, yeah, Genesis, not bad. They get to Exodus. Hey, this is pretty good. Plagues and commandments. And they get to the back half of Exodus. They're like, meh. And then they get to Leviticus. And they start dropping like flies. Okay, and it's like, the dead end of the read through the Bible starts here in Leviticus. And you know why? Because if you look at just the headings, the topic headings in Leviticus, the first like seven or eight chapters are just like, the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, the offering offering. Okay, like, and if that's not exciting enough for you, there's a whole chapter called Regulations on Infectious Skin Diseases. Oh, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. There is a whole chapter in Leviticus devoted to mildew. I'm not kidding. Mildew. And you might be like, why? What is going on there? This is a very practical book about God's holiness. Because he had brought his people out of the land of Egypt. They're wandering around the desert. And there's some really practical things they need to learn and know. He's like, here's who I am. I am the Lord, your God. And this is therefore how you are to live. And he gives them ten commandments, but he gives them many more commandments than that. And so we're in Leviticus here. In chapter 19, we're finding some miscellaneous laws. One of them speaks to the idea of hospitality. It's where we're going to start. In uh, chapter 19, verse 33 and 34. So let's read that. I'm going to pray before we do that. Father, we thank you that this is your word. That it is like a a double-edged sword. It can divide between the joint and the sinew, the bone and the marrow. And it can convict us by your spirit. So I pray this morning that that would be what happens. That we be convicted by your words as we read them by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, chapter 19, verse 33 says this. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. This is God's word. Now, I want to, I'm going to reread it because when you see, hear the word alien, it's a little different than what you're thinking in your mind. We're not thinking Sigourney Weaver, you know, like we're not thinking alien. Uh, alien here is meant to, to be used for a word called um, sojourner or uh, a, a foreigner. You could use the word to mean immigrant, refugee. You could use it, um, the, the broadest sense, the word I want to use it for is the word stranger because I think it's the one we could probably relate to the most, is stranger. So I'm going to read it to you again using the word stranger. Here we go. When a stranger lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The stranger living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were strangers in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Now, two verses, not a ton to unpack, but a ton to unpack. And so I want to start by unpacking this. We're going to look at kind of this progression of what's going on in these verses, as well as a couple of motivations, and we'll walk through those. So first I want you to note that this Leviticus 19 is a command. If you look at the kind of literature we're reading, this is a command. It's not a, it's not a narrative. It's God commanding. Here's how this should play out. Here's what we should do. Here's how we should live. Here's who we should be. Now you might say, Troy, I don't see the word hospitality anywhere in here, so I'm not sure where you're getting hospitality from. And I'd say, well, that's because we have a small understanding of what hospitality means. Now we have... Here on Sunday mornings, we have a hospitality team. Okay, and their job is, in fact, look at Lisa right there. She's got, her, she's got an apron on. She's talking on the phone, carrying stuff out right now. She's part of her, she leads her hospitality team. And what she and her team does every Sunday is they, make, they get donut holes. They get coffee. So when you come in, you've got a place. You're like, this is a place where I feel welcome and warm. It's part of our hospitality. But that is, and that is hospitality, but that is not the extent, the full extent of what hospitality is. So we have to find out what is the scriptures really help us understand hospitality to be. I want to I want to define it for you better. There's a book I read recently called Take Heart: Christian Courage in the Age of Unbelief by a, a pastor and author named Matt Chandler. And in this book, he gives a definition of hospitality. Biblically, he says this is what it is: to give loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. So to give loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. That's what biblical hospitality is about. So, so while you may not say, hey, the word hospitality is not in these verses, Troy, it is implied. And it's implied through a progression of relationships and responsibilities that I want to show you and I want to start by showing you visually. There's three circles in this text. The first one is the innermost circle. It's called you or yourself. You, yourself, and I. Me, myself, and I. And we, I even put family in there because I want you to think of the green circle or the folks that are in your inner circle. Okay, That's you and anyone that you're okay seeing in your boxers. Okay, vice, whatever. Okay, these are the people you're super comfortable with. Okay, your people. But then there's another, another group of people spoke to in this, in this passage. It's called the native born. And what I want to use there is people like you. So a lot of the people in the room are people like you. One thing you have in common is you're all here, okay? But there's people like you, and you have these people in your life. They think like you, they vote like you, they talk like you, they keep their yards like you, they live in houses like you. People like you. They're in the yellow circle. But then you have this outer circle, the strangers, and those we're going to call the aliens or the people not like you at all. And so there's a progression of these different relationships and a progression of responsibility. I want to walk you through. 
because it gets a little crazy. Watch this. In verse 33, the command God gives begins by saying this. When a stranger lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him or her. So when a stranger lives in your land, do not mistreat them. You probably hear that and you're like, yeah. Now there's a great command. I am rocking that one. How many of you are intentionally mistreating complete strangers right now? Are you like doing that? Besides your road rage. Okay, your road rage is the only example probably where you're, you're maybe deliberately mistreating a stranger. So you go, okay, God, I get it. Don't mistreat those who are on the outside. I can do that. But God's not done with his commands because he starts to get crazy. That's where he starts. That's not where he ends. As the command goes on, it says this. The level of responsibility increases. Verse 34 says, The stranger living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, God. What that means is the red circle goes away, and now the circle looks like this. So, God, wait a minute. Now you're supposed to, you mean I'm supposed to take the strangers, the people who are the outsiders, and start to treat them like people like me? That's hard. Because those people are outside that red circle. They don't, they don't look like me. They don't talk like me. They don't think like me. But now you're saying I have to treat them like they do. That's a challenge. People don't... This is hard for me. Okay? But God's not done. He's not done with His command. The last part goes like this. Love Him, i.e. the stranger, as who? As yourself. As yourself. Which makes it look like this. Uh oh. Now, God, you're telling me that I have to take the red line and put them inside the green line, put the yellow folks in the, in the green? Whoa. Let's not get crazy, but it just got real up in here. God made this comment. He says, no, no, you love the stranger as you love yourself. This seems like totally ridiculous. And in response to this, we, have, we start to have a conversation with God. And we say, God, that is, um, I like the first part of the law better. Thank you very much. You know what, God? My mom and dad told me I shouldn't talk to strangers, and I still don't. In fact, God, I actually check all my neighbors out in CCAP. We start to have this dialogue with ourselves. God, um, I know the part in here, it's somewhere in the Bible where it says I'm supposed to take care of my family. I can do that. But this here, now you're asking a lot. In fact, you say, you know what? I know, I, no, no, I, Troy, I know what it is. It's contextual. It's Leviticus. None of it applies anymore. Yes! New covenant. Awesome. In fact, Troy, some of you have been reading while I've been talking. You said, Troy, check this out. Troy, Troy, no, look, look. Verse 19 of chapter 19. Here's what it says. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Uh oh. Breaking the law probably right now. I, th- I don't think this is 100% God. And so you're saying, see? See, these laws don't apply. They apply back in Leviticus. They don't apply to me now, including this one that I'm supposed to love the stranger like myself. Doesn't apply. And you're saying that because you're looking for a loophole. This is what we do. We look for loopholes. Because you're like, look, I get it. It'd be a way easier to wear 100% cotton than love the stranger as myself, right? But here's the thing, a couple things. There are only two verses in the entire scripture that deal with um, 
different kinds of material that you're supposed to wear. It's here and then Deuteronomy 22. In Deuteronomy 22, it references linen and wool. And the reason why is because I don't know if you've ever tried wearing something that's half linen and half wool. It shrinks differently. It doesn't work. God's just being very practical about this. There's also in Leviticus, it's about mixing holy and unholy. He's like, in general, this is what we do. We don't mix the holy with the unholy. Part of his, part of his, his issue is like, I'm a God, I'm holy. I want you to be a holy people. But regardless, two times in all Scripture, I can't count how many times. I could count, but I didn't. The idea of loving the stranger, loving the neighbor as yourself is in Scripture. It's all the way through. It is all the way through. It is not something that we can contextualize away. You know what? No matter who you are, you are an outsider to somebody else. No matter who you are, you are a stranger to somebody else. No matter who anybody else is, they are a stranger to somebody, an outsider, a foreigner to somebody else. And so this progression of relationship that we show leads to a progression of responsibility that looks like this. This is what we see in the text, the next one. We start off, don't mistreat the stranger, and then, oh, treat them as one of your native born, and then, oh, love them as yourself. That's what God is calling us to. He's saying, this is the goal. This is what he goes, this is what I'm looking for from you as people. This is what I'm looking for. Now you might ask, Troy, how? How do I do that? How do I love the stranger as myself? I want to be really helpful to you. I don't know. I don't know. How do you love yourself? How do you love yourself? What ways do you love yourself? Whatever that is, however you love yourself, that's what you're supposed to be doing to strangers, to the outsiders. Whatever that is to you. I don't want to create a list for you because then it becomes legalism. Here's what you should do. But one place I can tell you you can probably start is thinking about the way that we use our homes. God wants us to use what we think is our castle for His kingdom. Okay? God wants us to use what we think is our castle for His kingdom. Because He's the king and we are not. Does that make sense? God wants us to use what we think is our castle for His kingdom. But we struggle. You know why we struggle? All kinds of reasons. We struggle to do this because we're tired. Maybe there's kids running around. We struggle because the house isn't clean enough. We struggle because the house isn't big enough. We struggle because, well, if we had those people over, their kids might influence my kids the wrong way. Or we struggle because we're like, you know what, wife, you may like the girl. I hate the husband. He's a jerk. We struggle because um, they, they don't think like we think. We struggle because, you know what, they'll probably, they'll probably judge us. You know what we're doing? We're actually judging them. It's the irony. We're judging people because we will judge them because that's going to disqualify them from coming into our home, opening our home up to them, and sharing their time and resources. You know, we can we can come up with an endless litany of excuses as to why we don't do this, but at the end of the day, the reason we struggle to love the strangers is because we don't empathize with them, and the reason we don't empathize with them or the outsider is because we forget that we too are the outsider and the stranger. Okay? Now, help me out. I'm going to do a little bit of an illustration here. I would like six adults to stand up at this point. I don't care where you are. Just six adults. Please stand up. Thank you, Mike, Ron. All right. I got three. I got four. I need two more. Do I got five? I got six. All right. Seven. That's fine. Now, what I'm going to ask the seven of you to do is going to be extremely difficult. Now you're sad that you stood up. I want you to move to a completely different part of the gathering and sit down. Go now and stay there for the rest of the message. If you have belongings you need to take, go take them with. That's fine. 
Go someplace you haven't sat before. Okay? I just did this in Jackson. I had to almost grab a gal out of her. She would not. She was like, I don't want to go over there. <clears throat> All right. Now, Gary, how, Gary, how was that? How are you feeling right now? Not too bad? That's not what I'm looking for. Um, so anyone else? Anyone else? Uh, Adam, how's that over there? Okay, you guys are not, okay, the point of this is not the point. Cindy, how are you doing? Thank you, Cindy. This is horrible. This is the worst, right? Why is this the worst? You know, we forget that we are the outsider. You know, I hear sometimes, I hear discussions about uh, immigration, and people have different thoughts on immigration. Uh, Noel just had a, a thing in Casa Guadalupe about immigration and missed around immigration this last week. But regardless of what you believe about a giant wall, taxes, deportation, immigration, refugees, the reason that you're all in this room here is because at some point in your family history, somebody was a foreigner. Somebody was a stranger. Somebody was an outsider. Somebody had to go under, they had to live under being the outsider, taking a, a, the awkwardness of a culture and not understanding it. That's how we get to sit here. And what we don't want to do now is we, we, we just don't want to feel that way. We want to be comfortable. And so legitimately speaking, like you need to thank Stephanie Lather, by the way. When you see her, everyone in this room needs to thank her because I, my goal was to have all of you do it. All of you move everywhere. I wanted to do it for 10 years. And she's like, honey, there's going to be new people. They're going to be super freaked out by that. Just don't do it. Just pick some people. I said, okay, fine. I really wanted to have everyone move up seven rows and over seven and just see what happens, if, if the whole place would explode. The reason is because we opened this building up like two years ago, and some of you have sat in the exact same seat every single Sunday, every time you come here. I know because I'm looking at you, and I know where you sit. I preach from the same spot. Sorry. So, so the idea is, what does it look like we forget that there was a time where maybe you first came in here, or first came in Badger, or first came into high school, or wherever it was, it was the first time you came in, and you felt like an outsider. What was that like? And now you, you don't feel that way anymore. But we forget. We forget this. And we don't empathize. And so the idea is, is that, that we move just seats. Think about how simple that portion of it is. Just to change seats. Why? Why, why do we want to em, em, empathize with the stranger and the foreigner? God gives us two motivations. Two, two motivations in these two verses. As to, here's why we do this. The first one is in verse 34. For you were strangers in Egypt. That's the first motivation. For you were strangers. Folks, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, like had stranger, outsider, foreigner as part of their DNA. Abraham was a wandering nomadic sheik. Didn't have a place. Three generations later, his entire family were, were refugees from a famine in where they were living, and they had to go down to Egypt and became slaves for 400 years. God brought them out of that slavery. As the, the minute they came out of slavery, they became refugees again. And they went out into the desert, wandered around for 40 years as squatters. I am using the word squatters because that's what they were. They're intense. Roaming around, not having a home. And in the midst of not having a home, God gives them a command. He says, hey, you don't even have a home yet. But when you do, you will welcome the stranger. You will treat them as one of your native born. And you will love them as yourself. And they would have all said, that makes sense. Amen, God. That makes total sense because we are strangers. We're outsiders. We're the foreigners now. And so you know what they do? They get in the land. You know what they do? They don't do that. 
they don't do that. They forget about the outsiders and they forget about God altogether. And eventually God brings in outsiders called the Babylonians and makes them exiles. It's just like over and over and over again, these people, God's people, are without a home. And yet without a home, they're commanded to treat those who are on the outside as if they're not on the outside. That's the first reason why this idea of commanding hospitality is in here. The second reason why is the last words that we just read in verse 34. I am the Lord your God. In fact, 15 times in chapter 19, this is God's mic drop. He makes a command 15 times and he says, I am the Lord your God. Command, I am the Lord your God. Why? Why is that part of his motivation? Or part of our motivation? It's because he's saying, that's who I am. This is my character. I am a hospitable God. I am a God who cares about the outsider, the foreigner, the stranger. So when you do this, you reflect me. And that's why you have to do this. This is because when you do this, you reflect me. Because even though you made yourself like a stranger, I have loved you. Because even though you've made yourself a foreigner to me, I have brought you in and treated you as one native born. A handful of years ago, Stephanie and I had a chance to go visit uh, Aaron and Angie Palno in Montenegro. Some of you don't know Aaron and Angie. They've been gone for a little while. But Aaron and Angie were some of our very dear friends here at Kettlebrook. Uh, they were part of our family of faith for some years. They sold, Aaron sold his business here in West Bend and moved to Montenegro for four years to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the folks of Montenegro. And Stephanie and I had an amazing chance to go spend some time with them in their home. And what we became painfully aware of was how difficult life was for them in Montenegro. Just the normal things of life, like making dinner, was hard. You know why it was hard? Because they couldn't even at first speak at a grocery store to figure out where the ingredients were, and then there weren't the right ingredients there. They didn't have their ingredients because the culture was different. They didn't have the same, like, here's our favorite recipes. We can't make them without spending 12 hours trying to get Evan involved in soccer and and, 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 and Anastasia in school and and buying a vehicle, like absolute mind-blowing experiences just because they're outside of their own culture. And so Steph and I saw that, and we were convicted by that. We actually get a chance to see Aaron and Angie. They'll be up here in two weeks. You're going to hear from them. They're back here and living in Milwaukee. So we came back and we were convicted by this. And so I was like, God, how do I apply this? How do I follow your son Jesus in the midst of this, knowing now what I know I didn't think about for, b- before? And so I was walking to school with my kids, taking them to school one day, and I recognized that there was a, a parent of a child. They were from France. And I knew they were from France because you can kind of tell they were outsiders. She didn't speak much. She, um, she, you know, she didn't seem to talk to people when, when larger crowds were around because no one could talk to them because she didn't speak much English, and we don't speak French, Right? So we're walking up and I'm going, oh God, I think I know what you're doing right now. You are going to make me look like a fool. And I'm supposed to listen and make myself look like a fool. So here it goes. So I'm walking out with kids. Hi! I'm Troy. My daughters, Tiana and Chloe, twins, in your son's class. I don't speak French. But my friend Molly Croner does. She's here now. I can introduce you to her. We can have dinner. And at first she was, she was kind of like, okay, psycho. And then I think she laughed. She just laughed at me because I was such an idiot, okay? 
And she's like, this guy's, you know, taking a step out, trying to make me feel comfortable. So she said, we would love to have dinner with you. (laughs) Well, you speak English. (laughs) Of course you do. So we we had them over for dinner. And we we developed a relationship with them for about three years or so before they ended up moving back to France because of a, a promotion on the husband's side. But one night for dinner, we were having them over, and, and at dinner, um, she said, you, you guys have been like a, a light in the darkness for us. And, and I, I wasn't as gospel fluent back then. What I'd like to have said was, you know, any light that you see in us is Jesus Christ. He's the light in us. But I didn't say that. But, but basically, um, God, God, God can use whatever we say or don't say anyway. But just we're able to have a little bit of a spiritual conversation, hopefully plant some seeds. Even do, uh, my daughter Chloe, when she was baptized, she got to invite them, and she, they were at our baptism gathering a couple of years ago and able to experience our family of faith. And I don't, I, mean, I don't know where they're at spiritually today because we, we, we only talk to them randomly on, on email when we can because they're a long ways away. But it, it, it's not that complicated. It's just who's ready to make a fool of themselves? Really. Who's willing to step out and say, I want to love those who aren't like me and be willing to take a risk and show God's hospitality to someone else, even when it's difficult for me. And I don't, I don't say that because I'm like, hey, we do this all the time. It's hard. Like it happens all the time. I, we, we get this wrong. We mess this up. I mess this up all the time, being consistently convicted about that. But in this book, Chandler... Um, he, he, he takes his whole book to talk about what it looks like to live courageously in a time when it's really difficult as followers of Christ. And the point of his book is that Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so he says we need to live courageously. But, but one whole chapter towards the end here, an application chapter, is called um, The Surprising Place You'll Show Your Courage. The Surprising Place You'll Show Your Courage. And here's what he says. Courageous living looks like showing hospitality. Don't hear me say that hospitality is the sum total of courage or of evangelism or discipleship for that matter. But don't miss me saying that living courageously will involve living hospitably. If hospitality doesn't sound exciting or initially feels confusing, that's because the idea of hospitality got hijacked by Martha Stewart and became less about a way we live our lives and more about how we decorate and prepare meals. I'm not against that. But I'm saying that that's not what the Bible means when it talks about hospitality. When the Bible speaks of hospitality, it almost always ties it to the stranger. That is, to people who are not like us. And the Bible is serious about hospitality. The Bible is serious about hospitality. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about it because it's in there quite a bit. See, family, God wants us to use what we think is our castle for His kingdom. Our home and our hearts for His holiness, His hope, His glory. Now, I know that amongst you here, that there are some of you that are doing this, that are doing this really well, <clears throat> that have not only opened your home up to people for dinner, but have opened your home up to, for people to live, people who aren't like you. <clears throat> and so for, for, for you, I, want, I would hope that this series is a huge encouragement to you. That's what we would hope, that you take this series and go, Thank you, God. We are reminded the reason why we do that is because God has been hospitable to us first. But that's not every one of us in the room. I would venture to say, I would guess to say that there are some of you in the room who have never opened your home up to anybody. Ever. I don't say that to judge. I don't say it to shame. I just say it because it's probably a fact. 
And you say, no, 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 Troy, we have totally had my mom and dad over. One time I had my brother and sister over. Green circle, at best. Okay? Now, I understand, for those of you who are in that, like, that piece of it, um, again, that's a shame or get one to inspire you to go, let's, let's, let's walk before we run at this. So what if we were to be really intentional and say, what we're going to do this summer is if you were to say, I'm going to try to think of my home in a way where I'm going to open it up maybe once a month to someone, even in the broader part of the green circle, or maybe even start to go into the yellow circle. Someone else not, that's like me, but is not in the green circle. Maybe it's a neighbor. We say, hey, let's have a neighbor over once a month. Let's open our homes up to that. We can, li- we can, sh- we can serve them by sharing a meal with them. We, we can list- serve them by listening to them and to their story. We can serve them by caring for them. What if we did that? What if, what if every home that's represented in this room and in last services room and, and Jackson and what if we did that? We'd have hospitality all over this city all summer long because there's people that are going to come into your homes that will never come here. And quite frankly, that's not the goal. The goal is not to get them to come here. It's to get them to come to Jesus Christ and understand who He is. And there's probably a way better chance of them doing that in your home than here. Because they won't come here. Let's think about that. What would it look like for us to take a step? Don't, don't think you have to run. Walk before you run. Now, let me, let me get even more practical for you. If that idea of opening your home up is too big of a step, what if we thought about being greater, uh, better, hospital, more hospitable here, right here? I get four to eight Connect cards a week here. That means that there's, at any given time, four to eight new families in the room right now. And I see sometimes people come and sit by themselves. Let's do this. Let's not let people sit by themselves. Heaven forbid you would sit in the exact seat next to them. <laughs> And you would say hi. And that those of you who have been here for a while would not just say hi to people that you know, that you'd say hi to people that you don't know. Let's think about those things. We've also got a handout for you out on the table, practically speaking. We also have an equip event that we're hosting on April, or sorry, May 22nd. We spend three hours not just talking but dialoguing together what this looks like. We'd strongly encourage you to check that out. As we close, I want to read a little bit from Chandler and then from Paul. Why does the Bible talk so seriously about hospitality, Chandler asks. Well, if I could boil it down to the simplest truth, it's because God has been so hospitable to us. God showed hospitality not only to his friends and his neighbors, but to his enemies in saving us as sinners and inviting us to eat at his table in his eternal home. We demonstrate that we appreciate this as we extend our own hospitality to those around us. If we look back at those circles, this is how we often, we we don't often see it this way. We actually see it what the next circle looks like, which is there's us and God on the inside. We're good people. And then there's other people outside that they're kind of like bad people. And there's really bad people. As long as we're in that green circle, it's us and God. And we don't want to deal with those other people. But here's here's what the reality of the folks, the situation folks is. This is the reality. There's God and our sin puts us outside. Of Him. And yet, through Jesus Christ, we are allowed back in. We are allowed in relationship with Him. Because He is so hospitable. And how did that happen? Paul wrote to the followers of Jesus in Ephesus these words. The Gentiles, those who were not Jewish, 
Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is how we are brought near. That is God's cosmic act of hospitality to bring us back to Him. May we be a hospitable people because we understand these words right here. Amen?